in the high desert in the great American Southwest. Welcome to Coast to Coast AM. John, welcome to the program. Good to have you with us. You're with us. You're with us. You're with us. Welcome back to Coast to Coast PM, the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. This is a podcast where two brothers analyze the world's largest overnight paranormal radio show, Coast to Coast AM. My name is Paul, and I'm the guy who listens to this inexplicable radio show here with my brother. Hey, it's Chris. I'm the Rob Thomas to your Sinbad, except neither of us are in a mental institution. Was this a always sunny one that we the just dropped pure today? always sunny reference. Wow, there are like three people that got that <laughs> who are listening to this right now. Getting real niche. Real niche with with the uh, duo jokes. Well, I love it. But to be fair, a very good duo. They played off of each other perfectly. Fantastic episode. Would not have thought that from Rob Thomas or Simbad. No one would have. It shocked us all. But you know, it's it's what the great people always sunny are here to do: is shock and impress when it comes to shock and all, baby, shock and all, like the U.S. military. Well, Chris, I am so excited to be talking to you today. We have okay an episode that I'm pumped about. I know we have an episode. Well, We're sitting here over Zoom recording. I know we have an episode. Well, sometimes what if we just wanted to talk? We could do that too. Just like normal no. brothers. We can just no. chat. Well, This is the only reason we talk. <laughs> well, Chris, today's episode is about the time traveler hypothesis of unidentified aerial phenomena. Okay, cool. All right. So these are future dwellers. Future dwellers. So this is going to be a George Norrie interview from August uh, 23rd of 2022 with Dr. Michael P. Masters. And we're going to cover everything from alien abductions, anal probes, hybridization, and Jesus potentially being a time traveler. Awesome. Very cool, dude. Haven't really done much time travel yet. No, and the best part about this is that Dr. Masters is an actual doctor whose uh, studies are relevant to what he's talking about, which does not always happen. So he's happen. like a physicist. So he's actually he's a, like professor, a physicist. He's a professor of um, anthropology, but specifically uh, he works on hominin, hominin biocultural evolution, which he uses to back up his claims based on abduction experiences. What? Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. We're going to get into it, but I... So many people on Coast to Coast, they're like, I have a PhD in political science and I'm here to talk about aliens. It's like, you don't, you, I don't want to call you doctor. You have yeah, to be talking about what you're talking sounds... about. Yeah. The, the name, the name Dr. Masters is pretty funny. It would be better if his first name was like Bachelor of Art. I'm Dr. Bachelor of Arts Masters. He's got a lot going on there. So we are about to enter what is, we're going to call Spooktober, I think. Spooktober, baby. And for the month of October, all of our episodes are going to be spooky themed. Yes. So I'm thinking we're going to do we're going to do a shadow people episode, which got to refine. Yeah, very spooky. Yeah, we're going to do an old art belt ghost to ghost, which is where he has call ins just of his listeners ghost stories. Yeah, that's that's needed to happen for a while now. And I think this is a great time for that episode. It's going to be perfect. And then there's going to be two uh, two other ones that we're not going to tell you yet, but they're going to be very fun. All spooky. All the time for the month of October. Spooktober. It's very exciting. And in in we got 
to check out the Tim Corner with our article from the Coast Coast AM blog by none other than Tim Banal. Tim time. Just thinking about Spooktober, I, I'm having a hard time waiting, so I got a spooky article here for us. Oh, yeah. Just give us a little our toes in the water of spook. <laughs> just dip them in. Just a yeah. little touch. It's uh, harvest time, baby. Give us some spooky stuff. So today's article by Tim Banal, Ghost Child filmed at Notoriously Haunted Hotel in Arkansas. Woo pig suey, baby. Let's go. We're back and we're back to haunted hotels. We haven't done one. Yeah, we haven't done a haunted hotel in a while. Let's go. All right. So a spooky piece of footage circulating online appears to show a ghost child dash past the camera of a person staying in a notoriously haunted hotel in Arkansas. Posted on Reddit late last week, the eerie video was reportedly filmed at the Crescent Hotel and Spa in the city of Eureka Springs. So as we stipulated, ghost children, very scary. Terrifying. Haunted children, ghost children, possessed children, really anything with the paranormal and a child, very spooky. Have you listened to anything about black-eyed kids? Uh, No. Is that like the black-eyed peas, but for children? No, very different. So it's these pale children with black eyes who try to get into your house. This is a real thing? This is a real paranormal experience. We're going to have to do an episode about it now. Okay. I don't know anything about this. Oh, well, we're going to have to talk about it. It's a big thing. Okay, so uh, number one, very strange that the spa is haunted. That feels like a really bad place to have a spa if the building's haunted. I know a little bit about Eureka Springs, and these springs have been used for thousands of years. I mean, Native Americans were using these springs way back when. So this has been known. Um, one of the interesting little factoids about this region, Paul, is that mobsters used to come down to the Arkansas Springs, and it was one of the only neutral territories in the country for different warring mobsters. And so you have like a racetrack uh, down in that area. You got gambling. You got these springs. And it's one of the one of the few places in America where a mobster can go back in the 20s and uh, put his hat up, kick his feet up, take a little rest. And, and not get assassinated? and not get assassinated i love that that's so nice i'm glad they had a place to go yeah dude. Really, little... everyone needs some r&r yeah you need to relax and a hot spring dude is a very good place to relax so that's why it's very mean that this child ghost is haunting this place they're just trying to have a nice time so yeah. constructed in 1886 the building has long been said to be the home of a variety of spirits and has even been quote america's most haunted hotel by many individuals in the video an unnamed woman films around her room and makes note of the site's haunted reputation declaring that she and her friend who is seen resting on a nearby bed are quote looking for ghosts at the infamous site all right so they're they're already willing to accept the experience which we're we're gonna watch themselves up they are we're gonna watch the video in a second but when i was watching this i've done this exact same thing when i was in savannah i was literally walking around graveyards at night filming looking for ghosts so i totally vibe with what they're doing chillingly it would seem that the pair did not have to wait long or look very far for the spirits said to inhabit the building as while the woman is talking a mysterious form that bears a striking resemblance to a young child can be seen scurrying past the camera bullcrap 
Well, we'll see. Okay. When the woman filmed her friend seconds earlier, it appeared that the pair were the only people in the room, and she has no reaction to the youngster that just ran a few feet in front of her. Very making, interesting. Making the creepy scene all the more intriguing is that the child seems to make no noise, which is rather incongruous with what one would expect to hear from a rambunctious tot dashing around the room. Yeah, but he's a ghost. Well, he's saying if it was like a kid that was hiding, right? Noise in the video. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. okay. But I be, got you. I that's got how you. we know it's a ghost. Yeah, because it made no noise. Gotcha. Yes. All right, keep going. All right. So, since the witnesses are unidentified, any additional circumstances surrounding the video are a mystery. That said, in light of the location and the scene and the odd manner in which the suspected child appears without any sound, many observers have suggested that the woman captured a genuine apparition at the haunted hotel. So okay, let's let's watch this video. Let's watch this video to describe it to our listeners. This is going to be a woman panning her camera around a uh, rather small hotel room where her friend is sleeping on the bed, and she's going to be just describing that's a haunted hotel. Girls trip. Most All right, haunted looks like hotel a hotel room in America, and my nightstand on you the creepy door is my eyes just so early bedtime. Looking. Did you see that? No, I didn't see it. Watch again. A child okay. runs across the the screen. Okay. Did you see that? Oh, that is a was, child that runs across was. the screen. That was kind of crazy. So this is th that is clearly a child. Yeah. So this is two. This is one of two things. This is either there was a child that was in the room. I guess three things. Child was in the room and ran across. Uh, this was added in post. Or that yeah. was a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the only three options. Here. That dude, that's the creepiest one we've seen. That was the best video that we have seen yet. That's the creepiest one we've seen. There was an outline of a kid there running across the screen. That was pretty crazy. That'll we'll be put in, in the show, show notes. notes. Yeah. yeah, we'll put it in the show notes as always. That one is actually worth watching. That one's like the weird videos. one. That's a weird one. Yeah. That's a strange one. Man, so that may ruin your spa day. I'll tell you what. That <laughs> <laughs> See a ghost. There's no way she noticed it, though. That's the thing is that she just kept recording. She didn't notice it at all. They noticed it after the fact, apparently. Dude, if we do a girls' weekend, we got to go to a haunted house. Yo, know, that's also those are two strange girls, and I, I'm, I, I, I think they're very cool because that's yeah. a girls' weekend. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's pretty. Let's dope. go to the most haunted place in America. Yeah, sounds like a great girls' weekend. There's a haunted asylum in my area that I really want to go to. I'm just trying to find someone to go with me. I'll go. You want to come? It's a girls. It's a, yeah, it's a haunted asylum. It's real. Girls, girls weekend. weekend. Yeah, <laughs> we'll start. We'll start an Airbnb next to it. It'll be great. Yeah. All yeah, right. So, weekend. thank you as always, Tim Banal. Uh, we appreciate your work and your efforts. love you, Tim. So, let's shove into our episode, talking about Doctor Masters, a super real professor that is studying alien abductions at Montana Tech. So, today, Chris. We're going to be going through the time traveler hypothesis. So let's kick okay. it off with Dr. Masters explaining what's yeah, what is it, what this is. Uh, the idea is pretty simple. It's basically just that we go on evolving morphologically, culturally, technologically. And at some point in the future, we develop backward time travel technology. And I think once we do, there's not going to be much that stops us from using the same inquisitiveness that took us to that point in the first place where we go back in time and 
investigate our own evolutionary past as hominins, but also look at ecological aspects of the Earth, study cultural changes, technological changes throughout millennia, as far back as we could possibly go. So that's the basic idea. The, the UAPs that we're seeing are us from the future. That's a very interesting idea, and I really like the way he described it, Paul. The thing that immediately came to my head was thinking about the transition from people who were riding horses a hundred years ago to the to the today where I can drive in a car at 80 miles per hour. That's such a shuttle, a subtle shift when you're looking at this long period. But for like evolutionary humans, the the speed at which we were supposed to be able to calculate went infinitely quicker than we were used to. And the evolutionary change that happens with that. I mean, we have people who can fly in fighter jets who are doing like breaking the sound barrier. And again, that's that is a change in brain function that's happening. Yeah, and 120 years ago, we still had horses, <laughs> right? Which is awesome, right? So I that's mean, what, and that's yeah. insane. So that, so it would be interesting to study those kind of, you know, we don't think about it really. I mean, look how dangerous television and the internet have been, and we've only seen that in 10 years. I mean, America was definitely the guinea pig there. And we're nothing but like fat lards with with heart conditions. Yeah, yeah. And you that's know? what's what's really interesting about Dr. Masters as well is that because he does have this academic approach to it, being an academic himself, uh, his his first book was all about using a multidisciplinary approach to trying and understanding the UAP phenomena. Uh, and then now on his second book, which he's here to talk about, uh, which is the extra tempestrial model is what he calls it. It's also the name of the book. You can find it on Amazon for 19 bucks. I'm currently reading it because I thought this guy was that awesome. Uh, he he uh, talks a lot more about alien abductions and the evidence okay. for them being humans based on abduction experiences specifically. That's uh, kind of weird. Yeah, it's I really like this guy. He's super cool. So that's a really weird idea. dude. All right. Yeah. Let's hear more. Let's hear more. So number one, what's George's favorite question, dude? How'd you get into this? How do you get into this? Let's find out how we got into this. I, I remember hearing a story about my father and the UFO experience he had um, in Amish country in, in Northeast Ohio, where I grew up, mm -hmm. which actually took place before I was born. And it was your, your quintessential nighttime sighting. Uh, what's interesting is yet there were four eyes on it, and they crested this hill, saw a bright light over the horizon, and thought that was odd, especially in Amish country where there aren't headlights in cars and street lamps in any large numbers and all of a sudden it shot directly toward them stopped about 100 meters from their truck uh sat there for you know 20 seconds or so and then shot back across the horizon to where it was and then instantly accelerated upwards into the sky which is really common for most of these reports and so that that itself was somewhat impactful in the sense of ontological shock and making me rethink my notions of reality so he he this got into him at a very young age with his dad having yeah. his own ufo experience right and what a weird that was kind of a weird experience it sounds like 
Yeah, it definitely was. And, and it led to his father buying some UFO books, one of which had a picture of um, a, a primate next to a man next to an alien, like a, you know, a classic, um, you know, gray looking. alien. Right. And then that also triggered him to say, wait, what if that's the next stage in the evolutionary chain? Yeah. What if what we're seeing is just humanity 10,000 years in the future or something like that? Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. Because especially if you're doing deep space travel and stuff like that, a lot of our body is useless. Mm -hmm. And really, you would want all your energy going to your brain when you're that technologically capable. Well, that was even an aspect of the Expanse series. Um uh, which is now a, a TV show on Amazon. But in the book series, they talk about the, the changes uh, in human uh, physiology because they are living in space with no real gravity. And they, right. they were larger, their heads were bigger, like all these weird things that were happening, which yeah. obviously we don't know, but most likely that is what would occur. Well, those were folks who didn't grow up near a gravity well, mm -hmm. so didn't grow up on a planet, essentially. They had a lot of weird effects happen to their body because they lived in zero G their whole entire lives. Yeah. What would happen after thousands of years of that? Right. Yeah. They're it would look crazy. Traits. It would, yeah. yeah. It would be insane. Yeah. Which would be really cool. Uh, so the other thing that I loved about this, you know, he's at a university. So like, what's the response from your colleagues being a UFO guy? You're, the assumption would be that they would think you're insane, but apparently they are rather supportive. I would imagine so. That's not surprising, but let's hear it. Michael, what do your colleagues say about your work? It's actually been been really positive. I mean, the I feel like the New York Times article in 2017 really opened the doors for a lot of us who have been taking this seriously for a long time. And and I think even for me, because I've been talking about it with people my entire life, more or less. But that that really it, there was a sea change that took place there. You could start to say, well, look, there there was this secret program, AA tip, and there were people investigating this. My, my university, all the way up to the, the highest level administration, has been really excited about this work. And have, have, I, I, I got an award. I got a research and scholarship award from the dean uh, just this last semester. And the only research and scholarship I've been doing is UFO research. He's getting awards from the dean, dude. Yeah, but dude, doesn't isn't he also a professor in Montana? Yeah. That dude, that's that gotta I... be full of cranks. <laughs> it's got the whole state education system has to be nothing but cranks. We have we've maligned at least ten out of the fifty states so far on this podcast. Yes. It's like one an episode. It's always a new one too. Would I have a blast at the University of Montana with crank professors? Absolutely. But let's not pretend this man is a professor at MIT getting these awards. All right. I still love it, though. I think that's a it's really awesome. cool thing. It's and awesome. I, I don't think it's something that would have happened 20 years ago either. And I would really love to see, like, his old biological anthropology work, like his ideas on, you know, early man evolving over the last couple of, of millennia. Yeah, and he, I believe he got his PhD at Ohio State studying uh, cranium. So it was like how our craniums and eye sockets evolved to be so big and, and so right. large and whatnot. Yeah. So uh, basically the human head is his areas of expertise. which That's is very cool. interesting. That's really cool. Which uh, has a lot of application to alien abductions because they have big yeah. heads. 
big big heads so he he goes into a bit about the second book and why he he screwed up the first time because when he wrote his first book he wasn't doing enough research into alien abductions because i i didn't really focus as much on the abductee contactee experience and i think that was maybe logistical to some extent because it, it was getting to the point where the craft were deemed real and and that was an important starting point but once you get into the abduction aspect of it that that really triggers people and they're not willing to accept that because it's so mm-hmm. far from their accepted reality so we started out with you know uaps and didn't want to touch alien abductions but now he's getting really into alien abductions and to, to him that's the key to this entire thing like if we're going to understand what's actually happening we have to look into the contacts that are actually made uh and, and vet those sources very strongly but also take them very seriously what is why is he so convinced these abductions are happening? Uh, because they're uh, they're going on at such a high rate, and a lot of the people that are getting abducted are are you know pretty respectable people, right? They have jobs, they don't have mental health issues, they don't have any like crazy stuff going on, and they are very convinced that something happened to them. Uh, so the different types of contacts, either from uh, being able to to view one of these. Um, these UAPs or actually coming into contact with them in some way. Right. Uh, or, or the types of things that he analyzes. I'm just, I, you know, that's great, but I, I don't know. I need like some stronger evidence that these abductions are actually happening. Well, he'll talk about some of the different abductions so we can go well, a bit he, more into that. Okay. Yeah. All right. But, I, yeah. I need some case studies. Yeah, or so, something. yeah. And that, that's exactly what he does. He takes case studies of abductions from around the globe, not just the United States, but literally the entire planet from right. the past hundred years and tries to like pattern match with them. But aren't the vast majority of the vast majority of them in the United States? I, I actually don't know what the rates of abduction cases are outside of the U S to be honest, but there are a lot of cases of UFO sightings. Um, I know there was a really famous one at a school in, I believe it was South Africa uh, where uh, just an enormous number of students actually saw a UFO. Wasn't like, that in the UK? I thought that was the UK. No, it was, it was in Africa. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So he'll, he'll also go into why abductions are so key here. Okay. We can see so many patterns emerge from taking seriously the, the encounters that people have, the incredible experiences that they have. And I, I dedicated my most recent book to the brave women and men who endured these things and were willing to talk about it because I've, I've never had an experience. I've never even seen a UFO, which I'm still a little bitter about, but if they don't talk about it, we have no data to go by. I'm right there with them, dude. I'm super bitter. I've never seen a UFO or anything paranormal, dude. Never, you know, not I, one thing. I haven't either. I've, I've really tried. I've looked into the sky a lot. And I've never yeah. seen one. I've just seen the evil banality of human beings, dude. Which is that not ain't the most con- fun. That ain't a conspiracy. So what, what he's using here is what's called abductive reasoning. So he talks about abductive reasoning a lot on this episode. But, uh, you know, in, deductive reasoning is a top-down approach where you have a premise and then you use observations to validate that, right? Inductive reasoning is bottom-up. So you have an observation and then you observe patterns to make a conclusion. Abductive reasoning is like the third way where you don't actually have enough information. 
So you start with incomplete observations and then try and find the most plausible conclusion. But what this involves is that you aren't actually verifying that conclusion because you can't. So it's it's basically a type of reasoning that is including the fact that this is all going to be very uncertain, but we're going to try and find patterns. And then like Occam's razor, it like what's the Occam most plausible razor, thing? Right. That's, yeah. yeah, that was my immediate thought. So all that's right. that's what okay. he's doing with alien abductions. Like, let's find the right. patterns and see what's going on. So the key to this, though, is that these aliens are actually humans. So let's get into why he thinks that they are human beings. The main jumping off point for me was the physical form of the beings. And, and that for me was the, the main thing I focused on was, was the physical form of these entities and just how human they are. And that's what really drew me into it, because even starting from the earliest common ancestors of, of most of the animals on this planet, at least the mammals, uh, we, we can trace tetrapods back 400 million years, having four limbs. But then also just the configuration of our eyes, nose, mouth, um, their ability to breathe our air, to communicate in our languages, all of these things scream human in so many different ways. And then you interject that fourth dimensional component to it. You interject the, the evolutionary aspects to this. And you can see how these same long-term evolutionary trends, especially in our craniofacial anatomy, so liking it a lot, dude. Yeah, liking it a lot. This, this guy's pretty cool, man, and he, he makes an excellent point. Why do they look so much like us? Yeah, right. There's there's only really subtle differences in between what what people. I mean, in almost all of them, in mm -hmm. almost all alien cases, you can. It's like, well, it looked kind of human, but, mm -hmm. and so that's pretty interesting. And it, so the skeptic in me says, right, people are just like pattern association, right? There, for me, I always kind of think of, especially alien abductions, as like something sleep paralysis, right? And mm -hmm. so you go back to the 1400s, you have people telling these wild stories of demons coming up from the floor and trying to torture them and stuff like that. Because that's what they knew. That's what they knew. And so I'm imagining that you don't really get a lot of alien abduction stories until like the 50s and 60s is when I bet they really start hitting because we weren't talking about aliens. And so now that's the new that's, you know, that's the culture coming into something that happens to humanity anyways. It's all Roswell's fault. Uh, kind of. But that, that is the thing, though, right, is that there, there are two explanations here. And, you know, obviously his is the reason why they look so much like humans is because they are humans. They are humans. right? But, you know, in the in the future. So something has happened evolutionarily, obviously, where they look slightly different. And then the other option is a lack of creativity on behalf of the people who think they were abducted, where well, it's like they know what humans look like. And it's just a weirder version of that. Well, and, the, and let me give you a third option, because this is the option that I truly believe. The option that I truly believe is that one of the reasons why aliens look kind of like us is that biologically, evolutionarily speaking, there are forms that work better in almost all cases. So being quadrupedal, having four legs works better than having 10 legs. Becoming a sentient species, it's better to become bipedal because you need the use of your hands to use tools. And so I think tool usage is going to be something that most of these people, 
most of these other civilizations or groups use. I think bipedalism is going to be huge, dude. I think a lot of folks are going to be bipedal in the intergalactic civilization realm. I don't know, man, because to me, it's it's we're working with such an incomplete data set. We got one. We, we have got one. one data set. We have one data set. We know it looks like this. And it's it's like if you were to like be a scientist who knows nothing about Earth and you're dropped in the rainforest and you're like, all right, decide what an ecosystem looks like. Oh, it's like, oh, you got all these like lush trees and you got all right. these plants and you got, you know, all this stuff. You got these monkeys swinging and you're like, OK, this is what an ecosystem looks like. And then, you know, you can never fathom what a desert is like or what kind of creatures live there or how they survive or how they've adapted. So to me, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, man, like that's what I loved about the movie Arrival, uh, because they they had these giant like cephalopodic creatures. Yeah. Well, uh, so to be so I said a lot i said most will be bipedal i was leaving the cephalopods okay. out of this okay because i do think something like that especially if it was an underwater civilization yeah are almost certainly going to be cephalopods oh yeah dude like lower gravity or underwater right you, exactly you can you're you're a cephalopod yeah, yeah. huge that, like and you know use that weird like chemical things are happening in their brain dude you know octopi and squid are really really intelligent creatures and i bet the deeper you the deeper you go the more intelligent they get i am convinced that the creatures from arrival are underneath the ice on europa i just yeah. I really i know we're sending some shit there to start drilling in the next 30 years because that's right. forever uh but I, i'm really excited for them to do that because i'm like there may be something there there's something under there dude i i almost i truly believe we'll find at least bacteria we gotta dude before at i the die very <laughs> least we're gonna find some bacteria or something and i think it will tell us a lot yeah i think it will too okay back to time traveling though so his basic argument is that these aliens that we're seeing, we're, we're going to look like that in the future. That's how we're going to right. You take all of these dominant trends that occurred throughout the last six million years, even without having to interject anything about whether we'll live underground or up in space or on a different planet and how that might affect our physiology. If these same trends continue into the future, we're likely to look like the vast majority of these beings that are described in association with UFOs. And, and that was kind of the main impetus for me. So it's it's where we're going. It's well, and it's fun, and they're gray because we all just kept mixing. Yeah, we all we all just mixed, and so it makes us like grayish brownish color. Now I do have another theory about that as well uh, that that we'll get to later, but it, it does tie into the cataclysm that many of these aliens uh, tell their abductees that that they've dealt with. Um, so these aliens are telling people things. Yeah, they 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 talk to them a little bit. So generally, I gotta hear some of these case studies. I think that may also be why I'm so skeptical. Mm -hmm. Is that I really haven't looked into abductions all that much. Uh, we got a couple we'll talk through. He doesn't he doesn't go very deep into them, but I have gone deep into them, so I can I can share some information. Okay, cool. So number one, you know, he works with a lot of contactees and, and tries to get them to talk, but he also goes into how difficult that is because the experiences are traumatizing to them. Oh, of course. Yeah, I would. I would imagine. So I'm sure it's terrifying. <laughs> Not fun. Not a good time. They're easy to find. They're harder to validate and vet. Yes. Which it's it's problematic. And that's just kind of where we are with this. We don't have 
sensors set up in people's bedrooms where we can video record and monitor every aspect of these encounters. We're not there yet. I'm hopeful that we will be, but at the same time, (laughs) given the sophistication of those who are taking us, uh, I think they would be aware of those technologies and know they're being watched and avoid that, because there does seem to be sort of a prime Trekian prime directive, Star Trekian prime directive, sorry, where they they seem to be laissez-faire in their actions, very edict, as we say in anthropology, where they're observing, trying not to really interject themselves too much into our times. I'm a big prime directive boy. Yeah. Huge prime directive boy. I very much believe that that is in place. Which it it makes sense, right? Because yeah. it's it's the same thing that where we have very strict structures uh, in inside of universities on how you're able to go into communities and like interact with them, right? right. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of rules and regulations around working in the medical field and, and consent that needs to be given for certain things. So if there was the ability to time travel and we are to make an assumption that it's not something that anyone can do. It's something that only governments have the time and the resources and the money and the know-how of doing. Right. Which, like the thing I always think about is like nuclear weapons. Like I can't go make a thermonuclear bomb. Only right. governments have that. And specifically, I think seven governments in total. So if there's a strict noose around this technology, they're going to have controls. And if they're being responsible, this is what they're going to be doing. They're going to be avoiding uh, actually just like going and just dicking around. They're, they're going to try to not intervene and to be as low key as they can be. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. This, oh, is making, I, I, this, this is all tracking. Th- that's I really like this because I, I think that this this puzzle piece that he's created fits so perfectly into what we're seeing. I think it's just a really interesting theory that. He has. Yeah, no, this is all tracking so far. So give me some more. I need all some right. more. I'm enjoying myself so far. Let's get into a couple case studies, Chris. Let's do it. A couple abduction case studies. I want to dive deep into <laughs> a good case, dude. But then you have ones like the Travis Walton case, for instance, where five other people saw him in the presence of this UFO. And pass lie detector tests past lie detector tests. And there's all these physical attributes of the environment that could be validated. So I try to focus on cases like that, not any one that necessarily conformed to this time travel model. In fact, I include ones that don't, like the Betty and Barney Hill case. I think it's important to talk about the star map. All right. So we, we have two call outs here. Number one is Travis Walton that he used uh, as his case study and then Betty and Barney Hill. Okay. I know um, nothing about Travis Walton. All right. So Travis Walton, this was a UFO abduction case that happened in November of 1975. And it was actually made into a movie called Fire in the Sky that you can check out. Okay, I I might have to watch it. You haven't watched it? I haven't watched it, but I hear it's pretty good. Okay. You know, I think it was like an 80s movie. Uh, So Walton was in a truck with six other members of his logging crew. So he was a logger. This is a lumberjack. Lumberjack, very remote area. Uh, and they saw a saucer-shaped object hovering over the ground. So they're they're in a remote remote area. They stop, uh, and Walton gets out of the car and approaches it. So this is a lesson: if you see a UFO, don't go close to it. Don't don't get close to it. Don't get close to it. I don't know why you would do that. You take a picture, you drive away. So he starts walking towards it. A beam of light shoots out, knocks him to the ground. The fellow loggers uh, jump in the car, drive away, terrified. Uh, and afterward, Walton was missing. So the the cops found out about this because obviously, like his family was like, where where did uh, our uh, you know brother go? 
And the, the cops bring all of these co-workers in for questioning uh, because they think that they all killed him. Yeah, they, they killed were, him and then got rid of the body. Yeah, they killed him, got and rid of the body. And then they're like, it was a UFO. Yeah, so they all go in and they're like, it was legitimately a flying saucer. A flying saucer took this guy. And right. the cops are like, this is bullshit. You got to believe me. Yeah, and they didn't. So what did they do at the time? Uh, because in the 70s, the uh, polygraph test was thought to be incredibly accurate. They were all forced to take polygraph tests. Okay. Now, nowadays, we know that polygraphs can be beaten if you are trained to do so. Uh, these loggers, I can guarantee you, were not trained to beat a polygraph. You don't think so? I just got a feeling they didn't. Okay. So all of them except one passed the polygraph when asked if uh, a UFO abducted their friend. The one that failed, well, sorry, he didn't fail, but he, he didn't pass. It was considered inconclusive because he got really angry at the cops during the interview. Right. So his, I'm his, trying to tell you it was a UFO. Yeah, he, he got so worked up they couldn't establish a baseline. <laughs> but the rest <laughs> of them passed. Now that sounds like somebody who's a real lumberjack. And that sounds like a lumberjack who saw a UFO. I imagine yeah. he'd be worked he's up. He's just furious. And he's like, I don't have the words to explain <laughs> myself properly. Fair, dude. I wouldn't either. So... Five days later, Travis Walton shows up on a random highway with no memories of what had happened except for two hours. No way. Yes. No way. He shows up, calls his brother, and is like, I don't know where I am. And he only had two hours of memories of the past five days. What were those memories? He remembered being in a hospital-like room being observed by three short, bald creatures that he initially thought were humans. But once they took off their masks, he realized that they weren't, that they're some sort of alien. Uh, and that was all he remembered. Wow. That's a weird one. That's a weird one. That's a weird one. So that one does fit a bit more into the time traveler hypothesis because it's an experiment uh, potentially being done by future humans. On past but why we'll get to why okay put a pin in that we we're will not get we're not talking about why yet yeah so we I'm have just, i'm yeah. in my cases i'm mm -hmm. deep in my cases yeah we gotta get deep in the cases and then we'll we'll pull out well, so we'll pull out we got two more we gotta talk through um betty and barney hill chris are you more familiar with this one i've heard you've talked a little bit about them but i don't know the story that well so we may do an entire episode on this at some point because I think we have to. Yeah, they're uh, they're not alive anymore, but their uh, niece is and still does talks on coast to coast. So this was an abduction case that happened in 1961 involving Betty and Barney Hill, naturally. So Betty and Barney claimed to have been abducted by small grayish humanoid aliens while traveling in their car one night. So. Basically, what happened was they were driving, uh, and then they saw a UFO. Um, Barney got out. He had his gun with him, uh, was real pissed off about it. They get back in the car, keep driving. And then when they get home, they realize that they're missing time. Both their watches had died uh, back in the 60s, you know, a little wind-up watch. Right. Uh, and they are missing a couple hours. So Betty started having these terrible dreams, and then she started undergoing hypnosis. So under hypnosis, Betty recalled that they were abducted by aliens, brought onto the ship, uh, and the alien leader even showed her a star map that represented trade and exploration routes that they were using between different stars in their home world. That was so nice of the alien captain to do that. You know, really kind. Like, yeah. hey, here's a, a map so you know where you are. What a good host. So uh, so this is pretty cool, actually. You're, you're going to really dig this. This is dope, dude. This, these guys over here have the 
best Glornash in the whole planetary solar system. I really hope that's what the conversation was. Yeah. He was just giving her uh, like tips on uh, yeah. traveling. Like, you, yeah. you got to stop by here. Great if diner. If you're ever in Tau 7, try to get there in the spring. <laughs> Beautiful. Gorgeous. So she she actually wrote down uh, this star map that she saw, right? Okay. Now well, In was, real life. In, in real life. life she yeah. gave us a map of stars. Yes. She gave a map of stars and then traced like what the routes were. So she she had this down and it was actually published, I think, in Astrology Magazine for some reason. Uh, and it where, was not, else, yeah. where else are you going to publish a star map drawn by a lady who claimed to get abducted, Paul? <laughs> something no, else in the 60s you don't got a lot of options yeah i guess not i guess nowadays it would just be reddit yeah but you know at, at the time it was not known where these stars were from it was just this random map of stars until a school teacher and animer uh, a- amateur astronomer named marjorie fish took up the case now marjorie analyzed thousands of stars until she discovered that Betty had drawn a map of the Zeta Reticulum system from the perspective slightly above the star Zeta Reticuli 2. What? Yes. It, dude, is this just that she, it was just completely random, or is it like dead on accurate? So at the time, they thought it was dead on accurate. It has now come to light that it is not as accurate as it was previously thought, as we have a better idea of what these stars look like. But at the time, people were like, wait, this is it. Um, Carl Sagan said that it was random uh, and that it was just being attributed to Zeta Reticuli because something was going to pattern match it. Uh, Eventually, eventually, eventually something is going to look like this, this thing, this woman drew. That, That was what Carl Sagan said. Okay. Okay. There was a statistician who analyzed it and said it was gonna. It was a one in a thousand chance that she was actually gonna nail anything. Okay. Many stars. So right. it, it's still debated to this day. Um, I don't know if it's real or not. You know, but I think it's it's a cool story. So I tell you what, dude. One in a thousand on a galactic scale. I'm not feeling good. <laughs> if you told me one in a thousand an asteroid was gonna hit us, I'm peeing my pants. Yeah, not not good. Not good. it's not good odds. Now, those are a bit more classic. All right. He also just, he also we, jumps in uh, to anal probes, Chris. Oh, no, dude. The only time I've ever really seen anything about anal probes is South Park. Well, we're the about very to. first episode where Cartman gets anal probed. Speaking of things I learned after my first book, it includes one by uh, a man named Ellis Martin, who I asked him, I said, you know, can I include your your case because it's fascinating and i think people need to hear about this aspect of these encounters because not a lot of people are willing to talk about the anal probe aspect specifically and he said i i demand that you use my name (laughs) he 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 wanted to come out there and he wanted to say this was my experience and so i include uh i include his in the context of the same thing that willie streber who was another uh, case study in my book experience because all right, so the the first guy I couldn't find, I haven't gotten to that part in his book, and I think that he's the only one that's written about it, but there was another one he mentioned, Whitley Strieber. Okay, who's that? So the Whitley Strieber case, uh, Whitley was an author who was abducted by aliens in 1985, which if you're trying to stay low-key, don't abduct an author. Yeah. He's going to write about it. He's going to, you know, at least a short story. Yeah. So he was sleeping alone in his cabin in upstate New York when unusual sounds woke him up. 
he opened his eyes and saw a small alien creature approaching his bed, at which point he started to float out of his bed and was floated into a UFO where they started putting needles into his brain and began to insert probes into his rectum. And then they sliced his finger and took blood samples. Whoa, that's kind of strange. And yeah, all of it was documented in a... All of it was documented in a book he wrote called Communion. I still, I have to know why now. Let's get into why. I need to know why now because this is one of those things. And again, it's always been a joke. So I've never really thought about it all that much. Why are they probing our rectums? (laughs) So there's a few things. Number one, I think there's an anthropological aspect of uh, some of these guys are uh, legitimately just studying past civilizations, which is fair. Uh, I th- then there's also a hybridization aspect to this, Chris. Okay. I'm sure we get into. So let's get into the hybridizing that's happening. Okay. I, I think there's a couple of things going on there. One, which is perhaps the most important, is under the biological species concept, the main way in which we classify a species, if we can hybridize with them, it indicates we are the same species. I talked about breathing the same air and having the same physical traits. Physical traits for having sex are important, and people do have sex with these beings, but even just hybridizing our DNA. Um, But beyond that, the hybridization, I I do think it's also possible they screw something up. They make a mistake with their their DNA manipulation, their gene editing. And they're coming back to fix it. So something has gone wrong. Uh, he mentions that a lot of times a cataclysm is brought up. So there there potentially is some sort of uh, bottlenecking of the species and they're needing right. additional genetic material. So that's why they're probing us? Not only probing us, but taking our sperm and eggs, Chris. Oh, really? Yeah. This is also a really common thing that happens. Okay. Where you see in almost every encounter, they're taking sperm, they're taking eggs, they're taking developing fetuses. And so the the question is why? Why would they be doing this? And we would have some gene flow, especially after European colonization. We would have genes moving around. But now we live in a world, and you can't really see this trend going in any other direction other than that we're just one massive global gene pool. At some point, it seems like we would need to diversify our gene pool, and the only place to get those genes may be from wild-type individuals who have genetics that aren't in the future who exist in the past. But. So holy crap, dude. The anal probe is like prostate milking. Oh my God, it could be. Oh my God. Oh, he does not mention that, but oh, that makes so much sense. That's what it is. That's what it is. And for, I don't know, do we explain what prostate milk no, is? No, we don't. We continue. Look it up. We Don't Google that. Don't look it up. Actually, don't, don't look it up. Don't look it up. Actually, don't. I thought this was supposed to be a kid-friendly show. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't do that. Anyways. Oh, God. So that is insane. I'm going to email him and mention that. Yeah. Holy that is, cow, I never dude. thought about that. Well, and, and the thing that it gets into is that the future may actually be sterile. Right. Well, we're already becoming sterile. That's exactly what he says. We also have a 60% decrease over the last 40 years in sperm counts in men. And and there could be issues with fertility interventions. We're we're helping people who, who can't naturally have children to have children, which is great culturally and, and from a maternal and paternal point of view. But you're also putting more of those genes that shouldn't be in 
future human populations and future human populations. Holy cow, dude. This is turning insane. Right? This is turning to crazy land. Yeah. And I'm really enjoying it. It's fantastic. And it, it makes so much sense, too, because if you think about it, it's like, why do they keep coming here and tr- like collecting all this this DNA? Right. Uh, like, it's, it feels unnecessary. It feels kind of weird. Uh, but if they are actually needing genetic material because of something that had happened with the population or some issues that they ran into, if they were attempting genetic coding and manipulation and it screwed things up. This is the period where the sperm is decreasing. Yeah. So they had to come through these decades to figure out what the heck the problem is. Yeah. It's basically, yeah. Why is fertility decreasing at such a pace to where in a hundred years, 200 years, we can't even have kids anymore. It's like if children of men had you uh, had time traveling UFOs. Like, what would they do? They would go back and try and figure it out. Well, it's a mix. It's a mix of, uh, what was it? 12 monkeys and children of men. That's right. That's an exact mix of those two. That's right. It's a very good mix. It's a, it's a, that'd be a good movie. This is a good mix. That'd be a good movie. That's, yeah, that's, that's uh, movie number eight that we're going to write. This is a very good mix. Yeah. So okay. then he, he now talks about the cataclysm, which he doesn't d- get too much into this. I'm hoping he does more in his book and I can bring it up on the show. Uh, but I, I do find this pretty interesting. Also, we have to consider this, this cataclysm that's always being talked about in these contactee experiences. And that was another pattern that emerged. And if there is some sort of bottleneck that occurs because a large percentage of the population is wiped out, the only place to get, again, those novel gene variants might be in the past before it occurred. So I don't know. There's a lot of things going on there, but I, I don't think they're necessarily doing it for us. I don't think they're trying to make us into them or make us better in some way. I, I think they're doing it for themselves. I think there's something that happens in the human future that really affects reproduction, and they're trying to fix it. Holy cow, dude. This is good stuff. Yeah, it really is. It, it, and it just it fits. His narrative, it fits. This is, is cool. really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and so, like they are kind of picking on outcasts mm-hmm. and like people who probably aren't going to affect history all that much, right? They're not probing Bill Clinton or you know Joe Biden. Yeah, they could have probed Donald Trump. <laughs> it's a possibility. It's a well, possibility. In their defense, they probably never thought he was going to be president. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> this guy. Yeah, they're like, maybe we've messed with the world a little too much if Donald Trump becomes president. Yep. Y'all like that apprentice guy? Uh, yeah. They're, they're, uh, they're affecting the future on the ground in little bits. I wonder if that's having wide-ranging implications in the future. So he does get into that. He he discusses uh, what he refers to as well is referred to as block time, or or um, uh, it, it basically what it means is that everything that has happened or will happen all exists at the same point. So the past, present, and future are all here already, right? Right. And everything exists within a superposition within the block that is time. Okay. So nothing can actually change the future because the future is already fixed. Everything you do is already baked into the system. Right, right. So okay. Okay. that's the hypothesis that he runs off of. Yeah. Time. 
Interesting. So, which is taken up by a ton of physicists as a way of explaining right. a lot of the relativity around time. Yeah. No, I mean, well, it's the only thing that could work. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd have a lot of problems. Yeah. So he also goes into the fact that we already know how to make UFO. So this isn't that big of a jump. It's just our problem is like resources. Frank Topler, a physicist in the 1970s, showed that you could get the same space-time warpage by shrinking that disk down to a finite size. And at that point, we're basically talking about UFO. We're talking about this machine that is rapidly rotating, that has a, a mass or energy that allows it to warp space-time in its proximate vicinity. And uh, Jack Sarfati saying mm -hmm. that we already know how to do this. We're already there. It's, it's happening. And it's just a materials issue. We don't yet have the metamaterials we need to do this, but the physics is there, the knowledge is there, the understanding is there. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. We already know how to make UFOs. We know how they work if they are working the way that we think they do, obviously, which is manipulating space-time uh, through gravity. And all we need to do is figure out how to make a dense enough object that can spin quickly enough, and we can do all the things we see UAPs doing. It, dude, here's the thing. If he thinks it can happen, it probably has happened, dude. It is deep in the bowels of skunk works. It's it's in that uh, giant uh, underground military bunker in Area 51 with the pools. Yeah. Or, dude, it's the Bob Lazar. You know, they've got a whole storage room full of these things. <laughs> the, the, the box set of UFOs. The time, the time travelers, like, broke down. The, mm -hmm. like their travel machine and they got like stuck here well and that's that, that's pretty good stuff too pretty good dude and that's that's really what he gets into as well um is is the fact that like we're he believes that we're going to be time traveling within 100 years 100 years based on quite a few of the reports once again through like pattern matching and the changes in human physiology uh, he's he's basically saying like no this can happen pretty quickly we're gonna figure this wow. out wow which is cool so I'd like to see that happen that would be pretty intensive to time travel I guess we wouldn't but our kids might yeah the the important call out here uh, is that he also does talk a bit about how this does not uh, exclude the existence of aliens right right of course. Yeah, so he's, he's using, you know, abductive reasoning. He's saying that a lot of this seems to be human uh, human time travelers who are causing this. Yeah. And it's probably for a very particular reason. But there could also be aliens out there, right? That could also be an explanation that makes sense. So, Chris, there is one caller that I wanted to skip to because I think his question is super wild. Let's, let's go. Let's jump into that caller. And then from the biblical standpoint, I would like to say um like if if we had the power today to go back in time and give earlier man a message do you think it might be something like do unto others don't cover your neighbor's wife don't steal don't murder each other i would like to hear your uh, mr master's opinion on that i love that question before so he's basically asking you know is is moses is moses Jesus, uh, are yeah. they time travelers time travelers or did they talk to time travelers mm-hmm and somehow receive word and then they tried to spread it which i thought was a crazy awesome idea so yeah, basically that's it's so good time traveler yeah that's so good i do i do wonder sometimes if certain aspects of our religion and others have talked about this too uh could have been planted by future humans for some specific purpose but but i do wonder if 
the things that were said, the things that were taught, a lot of the uh, specific miracles that performed, these these could be achieved by the same individuals, the same technology that we see today. I, I don't. I'm not saying that Jesus was a time traveler. I'm not saying that Moses part of the Sikhs that used anti-gravity stuff. And it, you you can form your own opinions on that. But there are like Ezekiel's experience, the wheel within the wheel, the humanoid, the amber. So much of that is similar. And I wonder if the message was put there. Oh, yeah, baby. Good stuff, dude. He handled that question perfectly. He did. And he may not say that Moses part of the sea with anti-gravity. I am now going to say that. I am saying that. I am, I am now saying, saying that. that from now on, that staff that Moses had was an anti-gravity staff. It was an anti-gravity staff, and that's how he did it. Yeah. Uh, and he got that technology from time travelers. From time, time travelers. Traveler himself. One of the two. Yeah. So that is our episode on the time traveler hypothesis, Chris. I hope you enjoyed it, man. Uh, I really enjoyed it, actually. Good. It, it was a good one, right? I love it. It was guy. really good. He was really good. Dr. Masters knows what he's talking about. He does. Uh, well, Chris, uh, scale of one to five uh, anal probes. What do you give? Uh, what do you give Dr. Masters here? Yeah, I'm giving him four anal probes. Easy. And, and let me talk a little bit about why. So I came in incredibly skeptical. I stated my skepticism pretty darn openly. This man brought me around, dude. I didn't really know a ton about abductions. It wasn't really my, my thing um, when it came to the alien world. But this man brought me a whole lot of joy, a whole lot of information and I definitely have some questions about this great cataclysm in the future. And are some of these things that we're seeing actually future us trying to figure out where everything went wrong? I love that idea. Yeah, man. I'm going to give him five. That's how You're much I like five. Him. I give him five because five anal probes. I'm getting five whole anal probes, man. Oh my, that's a lot of probe, so, dude. A lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, prostate tickling going on. Oh uh, god, but, prostate milking. Paul. Sorry, prostate. <laughs> Sounds so gross. So the, the thing that I love about this guy is that he's taking a really academic approach to the topic, and he's also taking a multidisciplinary approach. And I think that right. it, this is key to figuring out what's going on is that, you know, obviously you can have a lot of cranks out there who can say a lot of crazy things and also go on radio shows and say crazy things. But like this guy is taking a really serious look. He's doing like case studies. He's doing like this really intense pattern matching uh, and doing like really deep, thoughtful analysis. And I, I just think it's cool, man. I think we need it's, more of it. Yeah. So yeah, I really yeah. like it a lot, man. It's very interesting. I mean, could it be all crank at the end of the day? Yeah, but it's very cool crank. But it's great. It's good crank. It's a lot of fun crank. Yeah. So that has been our show on the Time Traveler UAP Hypothesis. We hope you enjoyed it. We will be back next week for Spooktober. Spooktober. Cannot wait. Uh, it's been really all. Thanks for listening. All conspiracy, all the time. Later. <laughs>